It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. One person is dead and three have survived after a skiff overturned near Yakutat on Sunday. The search for the skiff began shortly after the fire department got a call reporting a group of overdue boaters who had left earlier in the day on a fishing trip. In an interview with KCAW, Police Sergeant Jesse Picard said that the boaters departed from a local lodge around 7 a.m. to go fishing near Kantak Island. Around 9 a.m., their boat was hit by a rogue wave and overturned. They were able to climb on top of the boat, but another wave flipped them back into the water. Three of the passengers swam to shore. Picard says one of the survivors walked to the southeast side of the island where he could see Yakutat and began swimming toward town. He was later rescued from the water by Good Samaritans. Crew from a nearby Allen Marine boat spotted the other two survivors on land and were able to direct a search party to their location. Picard says one of the survivors was medevaced to Anchorage to treat non-life-threatening injuries. The other two were quickly discharged from the Yakutat Clinic. Picard did not disclose the name of the deceased, but said the persons next of kin have been notified. He says between the local fire and police departments and volunteers, over 20 people responded. Picard said all of the passengers were wearing life preservers at the time of the accident. Nine people were rescued on Sunday after the canoe they were in overturned on Chilkoot Lake near Haines. Haines Volunteer Fire Department Chief Brian Clay told KHNS that several were medevaced for further care, including several who were sent to Sitka. No deaths resulted from the accident, which occurred during a tour operated by Alaska Mountain Guides. Company owner Sean Gaffney was not available for comment. The State Department of Education recently informed the Juneau School District of a funding decision that could have major ramifications for Sitka and school districts across the state. The department told the Juneau School District that it could no longer accept city funding outside the cap, a limit on city funding set by the state. The implications for Sitka are huge. Currently, in recent years, the Assembly has funded the local school district to the cap, but then provided additional non-instructional funding to support expenses like student travel and the Blatchley Pool. At the root of the dispute is a federal law that saves the state millions of dollars in education spending. KTOO's Katie Anastas has more. Earlier this year, the Juneau Assembly gave the school district more than $2 million to resolve deficits from non-instructional costs, things like transportation and the district's child care program. In June, the Alaska Department of Education and Early Development sent a letter to the district saying that extra funding wasn't allowed. School Board President Dee Dee Sorensen says this has never been an issue before. It's like implying that there's something afoot, and there's not. The school board sent a letter back, saying that money isn't subject to the local funding cap because it pays for community services, not day-to-day district operations. They're still waiting on a response from the state. But whether or not that funding applies to Juno's local contribution cap, the state has two reasons to limit local funding. On one hand, it ensures that school districts are funded as fairly as possible across Alaska. On the other, it allows the state to avoid paying millions of dollars to schools through a practice used by no other state in the country. The law at the heart of the dispute involves two things, 
federal impact aid, and the disparity test. Federal impact aid goes to school districts where students live on federal property or Indian lands. That money is meant to help those districts make up for lost tax revenue, since federal land is exempt from property taxes. In Alaska, that includes military bases and Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act land. The disparity test measures whether a state's school funding is shared fairly among all districts. Alaska passes that test if there's a less than 25% funding difference between the highest and lowest funded districts. But passing the test doesn't just indicate fairness. It helps reduce state spending on schools. The state has to give school districts a certain amount of money each year. But if the state passes the disparity test, the federal government lets the state put most of the impact aid toward that amount. Juneau Democratic Senator Jesse Keel is on the Senate Education Committee. The formula says that we have now says the state deducts 90% of the impact aid money from what it gives districts toward their basic needs. So from the state's check. He says deducting the impact aid from the state's check keeps that money within Alaska's school funding formula. The formula gives more money for certain reasons, like having students with intensive special needs or offering vocational training. Outside the formula, impact aid would only go to districts with federal or ANCSA land. Not based on what it costs to educate kids there. Not based on how tough it is to build a kid's future there. Keeping money within the formula helps ensure that it's distributed fairly. But passing the disparity test still means the state writes a smaller check. That's what's at risk if the state fails. That's the potential, right, is we might have to let districts keep their impact aid money and not have the state say, oh, somebody in government, in a higher level of government, is giving you that, so we won't. In fiscal year 2022, the state deducted $73 million in federal impact aid from its cost to schools. The loss to affected districts varies. The state deducts $5 million in federal impact aid from its contribution to the Anchorage School District. In Fairbanks, it's $7 million. In the Lower Kuskokwim School District, it's more than $15 million. In districts that don't have a lot of federal land, like the Matanuska, Susitna Borough, and Juneau, the state doesn't deduct any impact aid. I have not seen uh, a, a session go by in 25 years where there isn't uh, a training session on the education funding formula. And the education funding formula walkthrough always includes this step about deducting 90% of impact aid. Uh, and legislators with significant federal presence in their district say, wait, you do what? And legislators uh, without major federal infrastructure or, or impacts in their district go, mm-hmm, what's the next step? According to the U.S. Department of Education, Alaska is the only state that counts federal impact aid as state funding. New Mexico stopped doing it two years ago letting eligible districts keep $60 million in federal money without reducing their state funds. Alaska's legislature approved a one-time school funding boost of $175 million this year, but Governor Mike Dunleavy vetoed half of it. Keel says sufficient statewide funding would reduce the risk of failing the disparity test. The old saying is a rising tide floats all boats. But that veto leaves the kids who are in a dinghy to start with bailing as fast as they can, and they might get swamped by this thing. 
The Juneau School District is still waiting on a response from the State Department of Education. The department's school finance manager, Lori Weed, didn't respond to an interview request or a list of questions. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. From oyster to kelp farmers, mariculture industry members gathered in Homer last week to share their experiences as part of a five-year, $49 million project to develop mariculture in Alaska. The Kenai Peninsula Economic Development District sponsored the mariculture meetup to connect industry members and to gather information on how to sustainably develop Alaska's mariculture industry. The meetup had multiple speakers and breakout sessions for people to learn about the challenges of the industry and to discuss potential solutions. Marie Bader, a former oyster farmer with decades of experience, provided a historical perspective for mariculture in the peninsula and highlighted its potential in the state. Commercial fishing is dominated, but we can grow stuff right in our backyards of water gardens and commercial gardens for the benefit of the whole world. The event is part of a five-year project run by four economic development districts in the state and the Alaska Mariculture Alliance. Last year, the project received a $49 million Build Back Better grant to sustainably develop the state's mariculture industry. The Alaska Mariculture Alliance defines mariculture as the production of aquatic shellfish, like oysters, and plants, like kelp, but not finned animals. Alaska State Representative Sarah Vance also attended the meeting to learn more about the mariculture industry and to get feedback from attendees on a new bill related to reducing regulation for mariculture leases. I'm here to find out if this bill is something that will help the industry get their ideas on what it should be and um, craft a piece of legislation to help promote their industry and make the business easier for them to do what they do best, and that's farming. Kenai Peninsula Economic Development District Special Projects Manager Cassidy Cameron said the meetup identified some challenges in the industry, such as bottlenecks in testing oysters to see if they're safe to eat. We're trying to make sure that we are approaching and strategizing in a really intentional way and thoughtful manner and um, acknowledge all the stakeholders uh, and partners that are involved and make sure that we can develop this industry that can go beyond the scope of the project. Moving forward, the project will continue to support mariculture business owners through providing industry-specific loans, equipment recommendations, and doing market research to expand where products can be sold. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. Mm -hmm.